a sci-fi Saturday night. Oh, that's right. I uh, listen, and this is good. Thank you for having me on. This is Adam West and AdamWest.com. Don't forget that AdamWest.com. We have so many goodies for you. <laughs> We'll tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. Don't think you can be so easily. It is now time for us to put Earth under our roof. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess, and we will give you witchcraft. You think me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Five by Saturday night. From the Project Bluebird gift shop. Bluebird? Oh, God. You have five words in. Beautiful. Let me try that again. From the Project Blue Book gift shop on sub-level six, deep in area 51. Hello and welcome to TalkCast 316, this week's edition of Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Enjoying my new Roy Neary tattoo, I am the Dome. Joining the TalkCast tonight, most of the rest of the Gang of Five, in the Acton TARDIS resurfacing plant, our technical anarchist, button-pushing, keyboard-clacking girl genius, Kriana. That's what she said. And she did repeatedly. I don't know if she's here at the moment because she's repairing damage to a robot from the stacks of her personal space in the Dank Dungeons Industrial Card Catalog unfolding and desalinization plant. Robot Befriender all along the East Coast. Welcome, Zombrarian. I'm like Tony Stark. I finished patching up that robot and now I have pizza. You rock. I don't know if that's actually in the movies or if it's just like canon and fan fiction, but apparently Tony Stark eats a lot of pizza. Evidently so. From a galaxy further and further away, no, actually, returning from another training week at the Timbuktu Philo Dose Separation Plant, after three weeks in Theory Calhoun UFO Washington uh, Detailing Simulation Center, a man who asked me just the other day, is that why a kitten sheds? Our Midwest correspondent, the guy who likes shiny stuff, awake by Java. Do you know how hard it is to find dehydrated refried beans? It's really hard. Please tell us. <laughs> it's I really hard. And we're just I've, call, I've called six stores today. What have you called them? Sheila. Ah. <laughs> Joining us tonight, you know, it's, it's always an interesting time for us as the day goes on and on and on. And the week becomes closer and closer because during that time, this show kind of uh, morphs from one thing to another. And, you know, over the, over the course of the past week, uh, two different writers have come to us and said, hey, it's my turn to be on the show. So uh, joining us for the first half of the show will be Daniel Cohane. Dan, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks. I'm using Mac for. I'm not good at Mac, so I'm trying not to click on any buttons. Now you're fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Whatever you do, you're not going to click nearly as much as Kriana does. No problem whatsoever. Thank you, uh, 
Dan, Daniel, which way? Which which uh, do you prefer? Uh, you can call me Dan. My wife calls me Danny, but it varies. Okay, cool. Yeah, I I understand the whole mood thing there. Yeah, it works for <laughs> most of us. And also joining us today is is friend of the show. I think the person who's had more appearances on this show than than any other writer, Tracy Hickman. Tracy, how are you, sir? Oh, how am I? Oh, I love this plan. I'm excited to be a part of it. You're way too peppy. <laughs> I'm just trying to inject some energy into this, guys. Okay, That's cool. Just, you know. No, you're fine. You're fine with oh, that. Okay, and you're an energetic guy, and Trace is going to be joining us. Actually, he's, we're all here right now, and we're going to talk with Dan for a while about uh, him and, and another guy called G. Daniel Gunn. And then later on tonight, we'll be talking with uh, Tracy about The Void. And possibly the Whitney Awards. I'm not sure, but if we get to them, that'll be wonderful, too. Anybody else want to say anything before we get started? No. <laughs> I like pizza. Pizza's very good. But so does Tony Stark. I understand now why you humans like pizza. There you go. So Dan came to us uh, out of... Uh, Super Mega Fest, where he was found by our booking monkey. Uh, he gave himself that name. I swear to God, I didn't give it to him. He says, I'll be the booking monkey. I said, you want that name to stick? He went, yeah, fine. You didn't just suggest it really hard a lot of times. I absolutely did not. Spoiler alert. Yes, he did. He, have did. A cute, he had a cute little red hat on his head, though, so a little fez. <laughs> hey, fezes are cool. Fezes are cool. And uh, at Super Mega Fest, he met Dan not realizing, and Daniel not realizing, that uh, the guys from the New England Horror Writers Association kind of have their own little spot on this show. And we've had, oh God, tons of them on over, over the course of the past three, four, five years. So, Dan, um, I got a chance to, to read some of two of your books. And... Yeah. The two books that I spent some time with uh, were uh, Plague of Darkness and Nightmare and Grease Paint. And we're going to hold off on Nightmare and Grease Paint because I got a thing for uh, clowns. And that's no, you, no, you don't have a thing for clowns. No, they, they scare that the crap. That would be the opposite of a thing for clowns. Don't <laughs> so Dome and I are going to each head off for a second and Kriana is going to interview you about Nightmare and Grease Paint <laughs> when that time comes. Yes. There's a thing for so clowns. here there was a story about clowns. Clowns are awesome. How does that make you feel? Oh, that was to me. Yes. <laughs> Very scared. That's why I write these things. So uh, you're also scared of clowns. Oh yeah. Well, I'm more like annoyed by clowns. I just don't quite understand them. <laughs> they're not... Yeah, everybody claim everybody laughs because I'm afraid of clowns, but it's really it's all from when I was a kid. I had what happened when you were a child to make you fear harmless clowns? Do you well, attack clowns on sight? Uh, no, I just. What kind of person are you? I just walk <laughs> on the side of the street, of course, in a town where there's clowns on the street. That's always an interesting place, anyway. So there's always it's never a good it's idea. Called when Salem, Massachusetts. I <laughs> dare yeah. you to venture there in October. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna be there actually. The New England Hall Writers. We got a table there. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, it should be fun. 
Salem, Salem can get Salem very in, in October. Yeah. No, I I would beg to differ. That's my now, personal opinion. You wrote Nightmares in Grease Paint with LL Soares, who's right. been on the show a couple of times, and is a scary dude in his own right. <laughs> yeah, actually, it's funny because, ironically, the original story was twenty four years old. It was like the it was the very first horror story I ever tried writing. Um, back when I was two. and um, <laughs> Okay, we'll buy yeah, that. There's no picture here, so that. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and so I had written it, tried to market it. That was the story that actually got me loving to write horror. I never turned back. But it got stuffed in a file drawer for years and years. And then I met Lauren, LL, at uh, Nikon. It was our first Nikon each. And... Um, some point I mentioned this story with a clown that's molding away in my file drawer and it took years and years of him begging me to give him the story maybe he'll add something to it and I think it was about three or four years ago I said alright Lauren here it is there's no disc copy it's only on paper here's a good story what is paper? paper <laughs> Brianna stop it what is this? it was an analog file what? With finger I've never heard smart. of such a thing yeah. well you can't do coffee rings on a laptop so you can. You absolutely can. <laughs> you definitely can. Well, yeah, that is true. I had to actually replace my keyboard the other day because my uh, two-year-old decided to see what would happen if he poured my coffee on top of the laptop. So It wasn't pleasant, was it? Uh, the old Pepsi syndrome, as we used to call it back in the day. Yeah so, yeah, so Lauren added, he added a whole backstory. I just had this clown coming out of the basement floor and terrorizing this family. It was a, it was fun to write, but he, he wrote this enormously long, very cool backstory behind, like, who is the clown? And then we just went back and forth for, like, two years. Um, went from a 5,000-word story to a 24,000-word novella. So it's a, it's a fun story. So this is a two-author novella that really is two separate writings? Yeah, well, what we did, and, and I've heard that people have read it, and they can't tell this. They would never, unless they saw the, the obviously the marquee. You can't tell it's two writers because if he, whenever he added something and he was done, I went through from the beginning to the end and did whatever changes, and then he went through. So we had carte blanche to change as long as we did changes on in the document, whatever we want. So we just kept polishing it in our own way, and then eventually the voice. We've done we've done collaborations before, and our voices do tend to work, even though he tends to write a lot more. Which of you sings the soprano? <laughs> that, yeah, that, was that was terrible. That was not what you meant by voices. That joke. Thank you. Terrible. Was actually ah uh, soprano humor. No. So it's it's the kind of two people working on a single project. Mm. can either be remarkably easy or incredibly difficult. Mm. Mm. Well, it, <clears throat> and I wasn't, well, I had already done it once with Lauren with a short story, but um, we, we have different views as to what goes into a story. I mean, his, there are some very graphic things that he put in, and I said, nope, <laughs> I took it out. Um, and mine sometimes, he would look at it and put it back in and put something back in. I'd take it out, we'd work on it, and we kind of found a happy medium. He tends to like, at least as we were writing this, a lot more graphic, a lot more um, in your face. I like a lot more, in this story at least, a little quieter horror. And so we kind of found a voice that was um, 
like a good medium. It really did work out. We had we had civil arguments, but we never really got pissed at each other too much. Too much. As horror goes, Nightmare and Grease Paint for me was not. I don't know if there's actually uh, if, if it's fair to say typical, mm. but I mean there's there seemed to be a plot. More plot, more story, more character development than you usually find in one of these stories. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. <laughs> we put that in there. I noticed, <laughs> and and it it's not something. It's it's something that's rare. Yeah. I mean, because it's not just you know hack slash blood gore, hack slash more blood, more gore. Um, and it probably helps if you if you if you like the characters. I mean, that's really the key. Um, um, you have to know who the people are. Like this is something where I've known these characters in my, at least in my head for literally twenty years, and um, and then he built this whole backstory of who the clown was, and you could tell he really as as evil as this character is, he really liked the character. Does the um, clown in your head tell you to do things? <laughs> he suggests strongly but the clown in my head is really only two and a half feet tall because he's the same clown that tormented me when I was eight that's actually kind of worse yeah yeah he's he's kind of belligerent he just and every time he bothered me and he's always these repeating nightmares I used to have as a kid I'd always go to tell my mother and she was always in the bathroom with the door locked and that's all I heard ma the clown's bothering me I'm in the bathroom that was the scariest part of those dreams so. <laughs> hey, if it's a home invasion. Yeah, go to the bathroom, hide in the tub. Especially if you have six kids. Sombrarian, you have to unmute yourself. And how can I still hear you if you're up in the loft? Jeez. Is she talking to the voices in her head again? I think so. <laughs> this time they're us, what should we say? Uh, when, <laughs> when the voices are us, that's when we begin to fear. The interesting thing is that a lot of times, <clears throat> what people don't realize is that really good horror writers aren't just locked into that genre. Mm. And you clearly are not, having written uh, science fiction stories, having written uh, uh, a series of, how to put it? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody knows how to put it. <laughs> religiously themed uh, speculative fiction. Ooh, How's that? I like that. You can't say that after three beers, but it's... No, you absolutely... It's difficult enough for me to say it at all. Right, right. But, well, that's the theme says it's bad. The book's fiction. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Where did that come from? Well, it, the, the first story... Well, actually, I guess Margaret's Ark was written after Solomon's Grave, but I, uh, I'm, I'm a Christian, and so... But I, I write horror, and I, I love the slash... I like scaring stuff, but... When I write, when I went down to write a novel, I wrote a novel that was a monster just coming out of uh, a lake eating people, and it's still on Cinderblocks in the backyard. But it was my first novel, and it was fun. But at, right around that time, I was like, you know, the Christian fiction market is supposedly this big. I hear this was a big market. I'm like, hmm, I wonder if I could write a, you know, a Christian scary novel. But you I'm know, just gonna say for the record that I get in big trouble when I say Christian mythology. Apparently those two words are not allowed to go together. <laughs> That's okay. I'm, According I get, to my wife. Uh, 
Yeah. No, it's um I did not say that. I said that Every time I say it, you sigh and you roll your eyes at me and <clears throat> it's a tone issue. Anyway, we <laughs> <laughs> Why Every... is that always the tone issue with you? You could say happy puppies, but if you use the wrong tone, forget it. Happy puppies. Uh, yeah, happy puppies. Yeah, happy puppies. <laughs> yeah. Well, fine, and I'm I mean, let's face it, Christian hand. tradition. <laughs> is no, pretty... no, it's it's clearly not that. <laughs> it's clearly not that. Well, it depends on how you define mythos. There you go. <laughs> well, get back to Dan's books. I'm <laughs> interested because I think that the Christian tradition. As oh, a come on, that's really condescending. Well, I mean, if you read the Old Testament, that's the scariest book you've ever yeah, read. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's full of scary book. stuff. <laughs> well, that's why I was like, you know, I wrote Solomon's Grave, and it was I, I, my early attempt to say maybe I can write this, but until I found out that it, in order to get into that market, you have to be your characters have to all be Baptists. Somebody has to get saved at the end. You can't have anybody. <laughs> to Hard to write a horror novel like that, huh? I've also oh, yeah. learned that if you want to write romance for Christians, write Amish romance. Amish. Apparently, that. evangelical what? Christians love reading romance novels about yeah. Amish people. I'm not even joking. It's a no, whole genre. That's the, it's, biggest, that's the biggest romance line is the Amish. They all have the little hats and the... And they're all, yeah. It's 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 because it's because what can you where how much more restrictive can you get than being a Southern Evangelical Baptist? Right. You know Amish. that Amish Amish is more so. So it's so it's you know, just it's, like more naughty. It's, it's even more naughty. <laughs> it's even more. Naughty. <laughs> okay, I guess I can see that. So there's this whole yeah. There's this whole other set of restrictions and rules in putting that together yeah. and yet <clears throat> yet there's still a, a dynamic to the stuff that you're writing about not necessarily the rapture but there's a there's a whole supernatural element to it well yeah and, 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 it, and it's really just a matter of and this is what I've said to, to people before and every not everybody because <laughs> Rackham McLeod jumped on me with that but um a lot of people go to church. A lot of people have a faith of some sort, and mm, you that's never getting see less it. true, actually. Yeah, and, and and you never see it in your writing. So I mean, every time I do see it in a, in a novel or a story, I'm like, oh, okay, that's cool. You know, they still haven't got enough people going to the bathroom in books, but they, you know, at least they get some people mentioning it. So I'm like, <laughs> I can write a novel of what I'd like to read, and still got you know. That's why I gave up on the marketing to that market because. I have swears in it. I have you know whatever. I don't want to be restricted, <clears throat> but I, I like using that groundwork as a as a basis. Like you know, Margaret's Ark is uh, what if the Great Flood happened today? Um, oops, am I still on? Because my screensaver just kicked in. <laughs> yeah, you're fine. You're fine. We can still hear you. I don't I'd know. Like, Bex, it's yelling at me. Hang on, I'd like to interject um, something if I might. Yeah. Um. I. I about about you know. Uh, uh, Religious markets and and specific market. I once went into a um, a local um, Christian bookstore and uh, pulled a book off the shelf that looked like it might be interesting. I was reading on the back of it and it said, "As gripping and exciting as a Tom Clancy novel," mm. and then it said, "But still maintaining the 
the uh, still maintaining the um, uh, the Christian perspective that you would expect to find in a good book. And, Did it capitalize "good book"? Well, see, because that would be amusing. <laughs> my my thought as I read the back of this was, um, yeah, yeah, still maintaining the standards of you know one would expect in a good Christian book. And when I was reading this, I thought if it is if it truly is as gripping and riveting as a Tom Clancy novel, the rest of it is irrelevant. Right. Because but it's not because you're in a Christian bookstore. But honestly, what what are those standards? I think if you got a group of Christians in a room, none of them would agree. No, you never do. Like, there are just so many different perspectives on that that, that make well, it of a blanket again, statement. That's why. And if you let the universalists come, then you've got a... They're not really level. Christians, though. <laughs> They're not anything. It's worse. It's worse than anything some else. Of them, because some of them are. The the Some real thing is very... that just like anything else, it's marketing, right? Okay, can I just defend yeah. every this... single person? Just no, a statement. no, no, no. I feel no. like I already have. No, I feel like I already did. Yeah, you um, kind of have. <laughs> well, I usually do. It's it's a talent of mine. I, th- I think the thing is 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 you you don't want to you don't want to market like I don't market to the Christian. I do. I don't market to the Christian audience. But I do at least in when I market the book, I at least know that that let them know it's out there because as long as a swear word doesn't bother you, <laughs> plague of darkness got a. Yeah, but see, that's the th- that's the question here is like, what are those standards? What's wrong with Tom Clancy? That yeah. it's I mean, not Christian it, enough. I mean, it, at some point, it individual standards. I know it's I know are, it's marketing. I'm just pointing out how absurd it is. It's it's you know what it is it's the, like especially in that market it's the, it's the sex you can kill as many people and in many violent <laughs> okay okay I guess confession I've never actually read a Tom Clancy novel is there a lot of sex is that no it? there's not there's no really... it's it if I guess if I it's even it there like it's pretty glossed over a mystery thriller sort of book so yeah. it would have That's violence right. which you know. The Bible has plenty of that. Of course, the Bible and has honestly, plenty of sex. And honestly, in Tom Clancy, there's That's not even sex. a lot of violence. I mean, there is some, but it's not... I mean, that's it, that's the one thing I've got. I'm, if you have to sit through a church service and you're not, you know, in your, in your venue of choice, go for the Catholics because it will be entertaining. There will be <laughs> sex and violence. Just saying. I would like to point out to Dan... I'm sorry, Dan. I just want to point out that this is pretty typical of Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Yes. Well, see, I could have taken it farther and said there will also be snacks, but now I have. And now you have. Thank oh, you. So well, there are. There's snacks at my church too. I I know, oh. but uh, you can't be assured that there will be. We well, at least bread. once a month, you can. <laughs> I, I was saying, if you weren't at your comfortable home I church, or if you were, you know, pressed into go- attending a service okay. for another reason, that you know, go for the Catholic if you can. Not that other churches don't have anyway. snacks. Anyway, completely irrelevant. You started. You're done now. I, yep. I like snacks. <laughs> I want to hear more about Dan's books because I think they sound really Okay, cool. well, you just turned it into a five-minute conversation that did not have to be. Did not have to be. So, Plague of Darkness. 
<laughs> I swear to God, I'm going to get this back on track one way or the other. Talk, talk to me about the story of Plague of Darkness. Well, it was ironically it was it was inspired when I was still attending the Catholic Church, and they were they were they were re what's the word rededicating the church? Uh, that's when you bless the church, sanct sanct. I'm blanking on the word. Resanctifying. Uh, they were reconsecrating the church because they paid the mortgage off, and I guess they don't actually yeah. do it. And um, it was a night service, and I'm sitting there with the family, and like like I'm a good Catholic, I started wondering what would happen if all the windows went black and we were trapped inside. And it, it was a long service, and um, <laughs> <laughs> they always are. And then I, I was still finishing up Margaret's Ark, and then I was like, "All right, I need a new book." So I said, "All right, I did Psalms, Grave, Margaret's Ark." I op- I randomly opened the Bible and pointed my finger, and I landed on the story of the plague of darkness with uh, um, Exodus, and I said, "Plague of darkness." And then at the same day, I was telling somebody about the daydream with the windows being blacked out and he said oh they were consecrating the church do they have a deconsecrated church and i went no but you just said the last ingredient in this book so the whole idea was what if a church somebody redoes a house and it's been deconsecrated it used to be a church and when they come in i originally i later changed it to be the blessing of the house actually wait a minute that happens we've yeah. seen that yeah heather where was that I mean, Zombarian. Where was that? No that one knows s- my alter ego. I don't know. We, no, we seriously saw apartments, and it was this old church renovated to be apartments. And we were like, how cool would that be? But they really looked like hell holes. But, like, if they were done well, because, yeah. you know, the real estate market here is horrifying. Oh, yeah. Um, some churches closed down. I mean, it's a good mar- It's a good piece of real estate. Yeah. And they, they were just, we were looking at the time. Do you remember where it was? Was it, like... It was somewhere in the greater Boston area. Yeah, I think I, it was near, like, Newton or... That's what I was thinking. Yeah. yeah, the church that inspired me was a small Episcopalian church on the way... I'd pass on the way to the dentist. And then all of a sudden it was a house somebody was living in. I'm like, wow, that used to be a church. And it was just a house in the middle of the neighborhood that they used as a church for years and years. So, yeah, it happens all the time, I guess. Although, you look it up on the web, I mean, it took me forever to find a decent article on how you actually do that. But it's, uh, yeah, it happens but a lot. But they would have to deconsecrate it if it was yeah. a Catholic right. church. They would have yeah. to. So well, there has to be church. some way to do it. Yeah, it, there's a whole service. Like for the Episcopal Church, I actually oh, There's a whole one. service. Whoa. Yeah, there's, there's a whole book on how to deconsecrate. Actually, this lady went and photocopied the, uh, the book for me and gave me it. I actually threw stuff in. Oh, yeah, here, check out this link. I just found one about an article about um, places in New York that are old churches that have been renovated into like condos and stuff they look gorgeous not like yeah. the one we saw but <laughs> well yeah because i now have a new topic to play around with when i'm at the reference desk on sundays no, and they no look really there. cool actually they're really really cool looking like what better way to make use of the gorgeous architecture and stuff the beautiful windows that are already in it like come on I mean, and, and there's very few independent buildings that are churches in New York anyway. They are all usually look like apartment buildings or something, or they're very, very some old. Some of those do, but some of them are really cool. Yeah. Here in Boston, storefront churches are big. Like, yeah. you'll, see a stri- like you'll see a strip mall, and, you know, there'll be yeah, a, church a restaurant the and a stationary store and a church. You know, and- yep. Church in a strip mall is really interesting because here in, in in northeastern Indiana, we have a lot of churches right next to strip clubs. Huh. Could really? it have been Norwood, Heather? Zombarian? It could have been Norwood. My church is in a movie theater. I love it. 
<laughs> oh, that's really cool. Yeah. Well, the old building was was collapsing the first time. The very first service we attended there when we started going there, these these sewer backed up into the kids' <laughs> room. So Oops. they were like, "All right, that's it. We're selling this thing. We're done." <laughs> yeah. That's... Oh, it's great. Yeah. You got so... seats. You got cup holders. It's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's kind of awesome, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Dan, how do you, how do you Oh, okay. How do you even make this question work? So you have G. Daniel Gunn. Right. Who is your non de plume for some books. Right. Why? And that happened. I mean, I was Daniel G. Cohen. That was the um, name, my, my full name. And I would use that for all my horror stories when I first wrote stories. And I, then I started writing books. My books, when the books started coming out, they happened to be these religious themed books. And then. I wrote Destroyer of Worlds, and I'm like, this isn't. This is the first time it wasn't any kind of religious theme. Um, it was just sort of a supernatural, psychological. I thought it. I think it's an awesome book. Um, but it's you're entitled. It's, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I can say that. <laughs> Me and my mom, we both think that book is awesome. Perfect. And, um, but it it, it 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 wasn't like Solomon's Grave or Margaret's Ark or later Plague of Darkness. So the whole idea of branding came around, and I said, you know. Destroyer of Worlds, it has sex in it. It has a lot more swearing in it. I mean, I have the swearing in all the books, but I do tend to temper it. Um, but it's just a, it's, it's a slightly, because I found that I had, if you look at the reviews, say, for Margaret's Act, this, this, I even had, like, pastors <laughs> putting in comments in there and, um, and liking it. So there seemed to be a mix between regular horror readers and people that want sort of a different kind of faith-based story. So when I write a horror, I'm like, you know, I really should have a different name based on a few things I read about branding yourself, so you have different audiences. So I, I tried it, and um, I've kind of stuck with it. That's why um, we did Nightmare in, in Grease Paint. I used the G. Daniel Gunn, and G. Daniel Gunn's got a story coming out in Borderlands 6 and in the upcoming Madhouse anthology. I mean, the freaking guy's doing better than me. So. <laughs> no, he is you. So the Christian right. clowns... Yeah. No, just kidding. <laughs> Yeah, Christian Clouds. That's what that's like. I mean, it's going to be two author names on there. We're going to we're going to work on a story together. Collaboration, I think. Yeah, yeah it'll be great. Can't wait to hear. Can't wait to read that one. Oh, book on tape. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> With two different voices. Tape's not a thing voices. anymore either. Yeah. Digital book. No, that's not even digital audio book. Who will you get to read it? Neil Patrick Harris. <laughs> I like Neil, <laughs> except if you if he does it in character, it'll be like, okay, wait for it. Just read the book. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good lord! Long tape. So I mean, you're you're juggling a whole lot of genres, yeah. uh, and uh, you're you're part of the New England Horror Writers Association group that we really love having on the show. Yeah, it's uh, a great group. And the two books you have out now are Nightmare and Grease Paint. And I lost the title of the other one. Ah, there League it is. of Darkness. Plague of Darkness. We yeah. just spent like 20 minutes talking about that. Don't <laughs> Come we on. Did. <laughs> mm. Leviticus. No, it's uh, like... well. yes, that was the other book. <laughs> oh, good lord. Literally. At least lord. now we know who to stone, right? <laughs> exactly. So while, while we were getting ready to do the show, at this point we would be doing the news, but the news tonight is is Tracy Hickman. Tracy, 
I did it anyway. In the news tonight, Tracy Pickett. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'll be here all week. <laughs> our studio audience someone finally added some sound effects into the sound yeah, you know no but we do have news this week we actually we do. do it is Tra tracy is bringing the news tracy is the news and now with the news yes the news this week is uh the news from the void this week is actually news from the void and also from sony pictures and also from madame tussauds in new york and the news <laughs> is yes yeah, seriously and the news is that um, uh, The Void is producing a hyper-reality experience for the new Ghostbusters film that's coming out this summer. Oh, now, for our listeners who have missed out on your last interview where you detailed how cool The Void was, quick recap. Go. Well, thank you. Yes. The, the Void is actually the first hyper-reality experience that's being developed. It's, it's a step beyond virtual reality. Take that, Oculus. Yes, take that, Oculus. Actually, I, we think Oculus is fine. And it's we think pretty that fun, it's a, actually. <laughs> it, it's fun, and it's a nice market. But, um, but, but we take the virtual reality technology as actually just a part of what we do. We uh, use uh, virtual reality headsets and, and our own... Um, our own Rapture gear, uh, which includes a, uh, a an HMD um, and uh, noise canceling headphones, but all of this then this is then uh, tied to what we call a backtop, which is essentially a a powerful graphics computer that's been compressed into like this tiny size that fits on the back of our haptic vest. And so you don this haptic vest and you don this HMD and, and headset and it puts you into an untethered virtual environment. Um, uh, then the portal opens and you step through. Our virtual environments are integrated with actual physical walls um, and physical objects, all of which are texture, all of which are mapped in the virtual space identically to the physical space. So if you reach out with your hand, you uh, uh, for the wall, you can touch the wall. If you see a, a, an ancient throne uh, there in the experience, you can actually sit down on it. Um, if there's a torch on the wall, reach out, take it out of its mount, and carry it with you as a light source. Um, that's uh, we create we create um, whole environments uh, for people and uh, uh, and you literally uh, step into those environments and walk through them. Yeah, uh, it's an amazing technology. Have you integrated scent cannons? Well, you know, so for those of us who have have gone through a number of Disney rides over the years, and and uh, I mean, there was a, a ride called Horizons down at Walt Disney World where you would go through an area of orange groves, and they would hit you with an orange grove scent. Um, uh, however, the 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 orange scent never quite left, you know, and and so after a few years, you know, the 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 orange blossom smell was kind of overpowering when you'd go through the ride and in fact most areas of the ride began to smell like orange blossoms um, uh, they've since of course, 
of course, torn down that attraction and have replaced it, uh, replaced the Horizons attraction with um, uh, the Mission Space attraction. Although I swear I can still smell orange when I go on the ride, it's 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 it, it's pretty permanent. Um, that being said, yes, we are actually exploring scent technologies as as part of the full experience. It must be better at this point. Maybe not. Maybe you need. Maybe you guys can come up with something better. Well, I'll let you know uh, when we deploy the Ghostbusters experience. Uh, if we're actually going to uh, Im- uh, deploy a a scent element okay, to so, our hyper reality. So, how did we get to the Ghostbusters experience? How did that happen? Well, it's a great story, and and uh, and, and actually, there's a great deal to it. But I'll, I'll just tell you the the very beginnings of it. Um, we were doing selective beta testing on uh, our experience uh, that we sent up uh, to the TED conference in Vancouver um, earlier this year. Oh, let's talk about that for a minute because that's kind of where this all started. So how did that go? Because last time you were on the show, you were getting ready to do the deploy. How did that work? And and who did you maybe meet while you were there? I figure he'll get to that. Well, we had... Uh, we had been in touch with the with the TED group. Uh, they had come down and seen some of our beta work, and uh, were so impressed with the early beta tests that we did with our system. Um, they really very much wanted us to come to the Vancouver uh, TED conference, um, and uh, so in part to demonstrate the technology, we uh, um, we built the first of. Um, what we call of what we call attraction stages, um, our 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 dimension stage, which is the the stage where um, that we're going to be deploying in our uh, entertainment centers, is about is sixty feet by sixty feet, but um, the attraction stage that we that we're building is thirty by more, uh, with the uh, of the TED uh, we. Um, we created this um, particular um, attraction, which um, we called the, which is the Curse of the Serpent's Eye. And uh, and, and I was, uh, I, I wrote it with my son, which was uh, uh, a lot of fun. Um, uh, and we'd go out and walk the stage and talk our, talk through the story and and scripted it all out. Um, uh, and and pulled all the uh, pulled all the equipment together. Uh, we had an incredible team that did it. The the dev team, uh, development team, um, at uh, at the Void at Void Studios, um, uh, pulled off a miracle actually in getting it uh, prepped and and ready to go at, up at TED. So the week before, I guess it was about two weeks before, um, we we packed the entire thing in crates and it fitted it fit in um, three semi trailers, and we uh, trucked it up to Vancouver. We had our our team deploy it there in the convention center, and uh, right up to the last minute of the deployment, we were still working on uh, still working on. Um, uh, on the deployment to make sure that the programming was working properly. In fact, uh, when we first put it up, we had uh, huge issues with our um, wireless network. 
and had to actually replace our wireless network uh, there in order to get the system to function properly. That's scary. Yeah, that was that was. A, <laughs> That's not a good time. Well, and it's also a scary moment, of course, because because you're 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 showing this. You're you're you are going to debut this now um, to some of the most um, um, most connected, powerful, and, and sophisticated and influential sophisticated, people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, they. Uh, uh, you know, if we were doing this, uh, you know, at if we were doing this at a comic books convention, it probably would would not be the same audience. Not so, so much pressure. Yeah, Certainly. not so much pressure. So, um, yeah, but the deployment went went beautifully. The experience itself, I can tell you, is uh, 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 breathtaking. Um, there was a. Uh, there was a time here in our local deployment, um, uh, just before we sent it up to um, Vancouver, um, Elijah Dushku uh, visited us at the void. And um, I happened to be there when, while she was going through the experience. Um, and there's a moment where, where you ride up this, this ancient elevator shaft and, and it emerges up into this beautiful overlook and uh, uh, in the twilight, and the birds burst from the trees uh, beneath you and fly out away from you into this beautiful twilight sunset. And uh, uh, you, you, when you come to the top of this of this elevator, you're supposed to then, of course, proceed back into the temple and and in in through the in through the. Um, uh, uh, the interior of the temple again, um, but I'll never forget her coming up to the top of that lift and then stopping and just kneeling down uh, because she just wanted to stop and take it in. Cool. It was <laughs> it was so beautiful. You're pretty good at describing things. Have you ever thought about doing that for a living? I, I've thought about doing that. <laughs> I'm just saying that we're we're just kind of like wrapped right yeah, now. Yeah, exactly. We're just all just like, sitting here listening whoa. to it. So this was the this was the experience we deployed. The experience that we deployed at TED was very much an Indiana Jones kind of an experience. Um, you know, you you'd step through the portal. It was wonderful. You you don the the rapture gear, and then and uh, um, and you'd be in this kind of gray um, cubist uh, room when you put the rapture gear on and in front of you mounted on the wall would be like this Ant Aztec handprint on in stone um, and then when you put on the rapture gear you find yourself in identical space in other words it's 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 virtually the same virtually mapped as being the same room and a difference that it makes no difference is no difference so you're like standing in the same space, right? And except, except that you, they say, okay, when you're ready, reach out and touch the hand on the wall. And when you do, when you reach out and touch that handprint on the wall, the the wall dissolves in front of you into a a, a, a mystical portal, and you're told to step through it. 
And you, you literally do. You take that step into that space and find yourself in this ancient uh, uh, plaza of this Mayan temple. And the stars are overhead uh, in the twilight. And, and it's beautiful. Uh, and people just, they step into that and they just stop. Um, and so we had this incredible Aztec experience that that we had built very much, uh, very much after the manner of an Indiana Jones, you know, pulp kind of adventure. Um, and uh, so it was, uh, it was pretty, uh, pretty exciting for. Um, it was it was kind of exciting actually for us back at the company because, um, you know, we could only send a certain number of people to the TED conference, and so. We had to be very select about who went there. My uh, the the founders of the company, Kent Brenschneider, uh, James Jensen, and uh, and Curtis Hickman, my uh, my boss, <laughs> actually, um, uh, all went. Uh, uh, they were all at the uh, at the convention. As of course, were a number of people who were uh, trained in running it, and uh, uh, several of our lead programmers were there. So you were saying that, yeah. So you were saying that this, quote, Indiana Jones adventure kind of hit home for you when? Well, it kind of hit home. Well, for us, the reason I mention this is because for those of us at the company, um, we, we all communicate use, uh, inside the company uh, using uh, Slack software, right? Yay, Slack is awesome. And so, and so we're getting like this, this text feed of, of Slack messages that were coming down from one of our programmers at the at the site, right? And so they'd say, "Oh yeah, this is working. Oh yes, we've all oh, these people came in. Oh, that's nice. These people came in." And then all of a sudden, we get this Slack message that comes across and says, "Holy crap, Harrison Ford!" <laughs> that's it. Just just that. <laughs> Do you just need that. anything else? And we're and we're and like the entire office stops. Right, and we're like looking at each other. Is it, does he say? Is that Harrison Ford? Does it say Harrison Ford? Does he really mean Harrison Ford? And yeah, absolutely. Harrison Ford came to the experience. Um, my son helped him through it. Uh, you know, was like the guide for it. And and he's at at one point in the experience. Here's Harrison Ford, and he's holding his this torch, right? And he's like doing battle with this creature that's in the experience and my son is standing there right uh, when you're in the experience you're completely oblivious to the reality that's around you you're inside the experience right so my son is standing there watching Harrison Ford do battle with this torch uh, do battle with this monster holding a torch and he's just silently you know just pumping fist in the air this is <laughs> Harrison Ford is in our experience, and he is out. It's and so yeah, and it was incredible. He he came out of the experience, uh, was so excited about it that um, that he went and found Steven Spielberg and said, "You've got to come and do this." And so yeah, Steven. So Steven Spielberg came by and and went through the experience as well, and uh, uh, and and he and when he came out, he said, "Whoa." That was a great adventure. Wow. So, 
Yeah, you know when the creators, when, when the two guys who know Indiana Jones best, you know, love the adventure that you've done, then, uh, then that was a moment for us when we really felt like we'd gotten where we needed to go. Yeah, it was, it was an amazing time. So I know over, over the past X number of years now, you've, the, you've been refining the technology and refining the story and, and molding the two to make it work. And I guess <clears throat> when Spielberg says, wow, you're, you're vindicated. Oh, absolutely. And, <laughs> and, it's, and it just spurs us on to, you know, to go on and do bigger and better things. We're the, the, the Ghostbusters attraction that we've been building in secret for the last three months is okay, another so technological leap ahead. Uh, how did that come that. about? Well, that was, that, like I said, there's an interesting story about that, and there's actually more to that story than I can tell you tonight, and, and I'm sure that we'll get to that eventually. But, but in the very, very beginning, um, uh, Curtis and myself, uh, Curtis and I and, and uh, our, uh, our concept artist, Dustin Hanson, we were all sharing a, an office. We've been expanding so quickly that, that we have these growing pains, you know, where we, we're, we had one piece of an office complex, and then we acquired the next piece of the office complex, and then we acquired the next two pieces of the office complex, <laughs> um, uh, just because of uh, the, uh, the requirements of what we were building. And so we would, like, move offices all the time. There was a time that we were always moving offices. So Curtis and I and uh, and Dustin Hanson, our our um, concept artist, we were in the office one day, and this fellow pokes his head in the office to introduce himself, and none of us knew who he was. But he's extremely enthusiastic. He says, "I just want to tell you, I I I when I saw you guys had beta beta tickets open for your beta experience." I, I got them online immediately, uh, and and I flew out here with my son just to do this, and it is absolutely astonishing. It is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. Uh, well, you know, thank you, I guess, <laughs> for that. Who are you? Hello. And you are. Um, <laughs> and it, uh, and he introduced himself uh, as as an executive from Sony Pictures, and. We're thinking, okay, uh, do we have security we could call at this point? Because, <laughs> you know, we're not that big of a company. Um, but sure enough, the guy start, hands us his card, and yeah, the guy is from Sony Pictures. And he says, we have, we are, we are, we have got to do Ghostbusters in this experience. And Holy this was, crap. We're like and you laughing. said, of course, that sounds terrible. And we said, oh, let me think. Hmm. Mm. Putting on proton packs. Um, let's see. Capturing ghosts inside an and I don't think this is going to work, guys. I just... Yeah. Definitely suboptimal for this experience. Yeah. It was, it was no stretch at all to imagine any of that. So we said, wow, yeah, let's pursue this. And that, that pursuit very quickly turned into real discussions and... Uh, Led very and, and led uh, after that to Paul Fig and uh, his uh, not only Paul but um, uh, but Ivan Reitman 
became involved in the development as well. And uh, and we've been working secretly on this project ever since. We're actually set to deploy it um, uh, in. We'll actually do the installation in mid June. And uh, we'll be uh, uh, doing uh, opening the experience at Madame Tussauds in Times Square. Um, oh God! In early uh, early July. In uh, Times the- Square. Yes. Well, the- what a horrible idea that is. <laughs> I know. Location, location, location. <laughs> Lord Almighty. This it's, does not uh, sound amazing at all. Says yeah. the most sarcastic person ever. And oh, and listen, yes. and I can tell you there is nothing like putting on those packs, s- literally stepping into the world of Ghostbusters. Yeah, you, you don't have to sell me anymore on this. Yeah, I think we're already... Yeah, I'm, I'm just kind of like sick this. with jealousy. I'm, I've, yep. I've been, I've been going into the, I've been going into the environment with, with the proton gun and, and, uh, and just blowing the crap out of things. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, only your eloquence, Tracy. Can. Uh, it it was it, it it is it is truly astonishing. Yeah, it, it's and it's a, it's an experience that's. I mean, it's got the. It's full of the Ghostbusters humor. There's a, a wryness to it. Um, we've been, uh, and, and Sony has been absolutely fabulous to work with. I mean, they've they've they they've they have actually. Provided us with um, digital assets that from the film, models used digital models that were used in the actual film, and, oh, wow. and uh, music and sound effect. I mean, they've um, well, hey, they they're have, they're doing this with you. That's exactly what they should be doing, but it's exactly well, what are. many companies won't do. In mm-hmm. when you do tie-ins like this, or you know, not like this, you know, they give you a license and expect you to produce your own art and stuff but really really that's got to be the best way to go so sure. it's it's going to be authentic from it'll be authentic from the ground it up it won't feel like kind of a cartoony version it'll feel like no you're you're there no you're there you're yeah. there and it's you know that it's got its scary moments and it's got it's got humor it's got it's it has that very much that ghostbusters uh feel that uh, i think everybody's going to be looking for Everybody's going to want. This is like horrible news. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> don't, we don't do sarcasm as well as I do. No, I do not. Yeah, it's I. I, you know, I cannot wait for you guys to see this. Uh, there's there is there is something about actually being in the room with the ghost, and and and, and to be able to. St- to step into that space. Can know. I sense an invitation there? <laughs> well, I don't. To, do to be fair, if we were to go out to Salt Lake City, I believe we have a standing invitation. I know. So, right. relax. Your city's ever so much but closer. Well, you can. You can come down to New York uh, City. Actually, uh, Tussauds is, is uh, currently pre-selling tickets for um, uh, for... Uh, the Ghostbusters dimension and the experience, oh, and we'll also be doing it on the Void website. Uh, if you come to thevoid.com, thevoid.com, uh, 
Oh, we'll get the link up. No worries there. Yeah, I think you should yeah. put that link up because it's be the really... void. Just just in case you guys yeah. missed it. And the first four check, times. Check yes. the link in the show notes, and we will we will point you in the right direction. Yeah, it's about a fifteen minute. Uh, it's about a fifteen minute experience from suit up to suit down, and uh, and yeah, yeah. It just it just doesn't get any better, and and. and yeah, the content really might, takes the best up from both the films, actually. So we're yeah, we're we're very very excited about it. Outstanding! That this just sounds like you know where this technology should have gone. It's it's in the right. Well, sleep. you you say should have like it should have happened already, but I don't think it could have happened already. Right, uh, I don't it. We just didn't have the raw computing power in a small enough package to make it possible until literally the, just now. It's the promise of the of of speculative fiction, right? A yes. virtual universe One of them, that you can yes. explore. Yeah, it's and and as as wonderful as all of the virtual reality things that are happening, you know, right now are the the void is one of those things that you are going to walk away from having an entirely different experience than you would if you strap your phone onto your face with a Google Cardboard. Yeah, It's like the it's first gonna... time I saw an e-reader, it was like an epiphany. Yeah. Like, I can have, at the time it was like, what, 1992? Six? Whatever. You could have a hundred books in the palm of your hand. Because that's how good flash memory was at the time. And that was incredible. That was insane to my, like, 12-year-old brain, right? Yeah, well, people have actually come. People have asked us. In fact, I, I did an interview um, not too long ago where I was asked, "Could you walk us through the experience?" And um, I said, uh, "Well, no." <laughs> what? Why? Uh, why would you want that? There are spoilers. Well, well, not only are there spoilers, but but and and you're right. We don't want to spoil that because there is there is something. Um, uh, there, there is something that is uh, a um, a gestalt that happens when when people enter the void and and realize that all of a sudden the fantasy that they have stepped into feels completely real to them and becomes their reality. It's it's interest, It's fascinating to me that within about a minute and a half of people stepping into the void experience. They forget what reality was, and this becomes their reality for them. Well, well that's how your brain is wired to work, though. That's what your senses are telling you. That is, for all intents and purposes, reality, yeah, as far reality. as your brain is right. concerned. So it, it doesn't actually surprise me that that happens, but it thrills me that the technology is cool enough to make your brain forget so completely. As like, I don't know, when I tried the Oculus several years ago when it was just in the developer um, sort of stage of things. It was good, but you were very aware at all times that you had this giant thing strapped to your head and were tripping over cables and I, you know, you could trick your brain if you were on that roller coaster demo to like making your stomach jump a little bit when it went down a particularly precarious curve or something, but other than that, you're you're pretty acutely aware of reality. Reality. And your buddies standing around you. Well, well and the, uh, the other thing is that this is, I mean, this is, 
this keys into suspension of disbelief, right? Mm-hmm. So if well, that's you- why I brought this the scent up before because I was like, <laughs> okay, so you're completely immersing the visual and the audio, and you've got the tactile. Now you just need to go for a few more things, and it will be. But humans have this this amazing ability to suspend disbelief in all sorts of different situations and completely immerse themselves in imaginary worlds, and we do it so so readily and and so willingly that it's it's interesting that we're kind of in a pursuit for ever increasing versions of these imaginary worlds. But but the promise of speculative fiction of the 60s and 70s was you will step into a reality that is just like actual reality but it's computed around you and and you have the ability to shape it to your will in a way that we can't it's almost like we you know we have this in this desire to create um things that we don't have the ability to create in the actual universe. In the real we, world. We right. view ourselves as, as tiny gods and we must, you know. Um, <laughs> but it, I, I'm really excited to try it and, and, and look at it. It sounds, it, it sounds very exciting. See, for me, there's this long perspective that, that starts with... Uh, yeah, we Larry, know your old dome. Yes, thank you, Kriana. <laughs> that, that begins with uh, books like Larry Niven's Dream World. Which was this this hard, intense virtual reality uh, dream park, and it was amazing, and that transformed itself into uh, a great, beautifully descriptive series of books to the holodeck on the Enterprise and Deep Space Nine, and and altering realities through that, and you know, it's it's been years and years and years and years of development. To actually have it, you know, come to fruition in my lifetime is, for me, is really cool. That's how I've been describing it to people, because if, if you just try to, like, with no background, be like, okay, what is the void? You're like, okay, virtual reality, but better, and then it just gets confusing. Well, just, like, think holodeck. Think the holodeck, Think about yeah. the holodeck, kind of like that. And well, like, and, okay. and the holodeck has been, in fact, the one thing that everybody has compared us to. It's the most easy comparison for us. It's oversimplified, but it works. It's oversimplified, but it works. What what I what we've come to realize is that what most people consider virtual reality is very virtual, not terribly real. And so, um, what we've realized is that uh, what we do is actually hyper reality. It's an it's an, a place that's indistinguishable from reality and is generated. And the definition for hyperreality actually is a lot closer to what we do than virtual reality is, or at least as it's commonly being used today. So uh, our experiences are hyperreal, and uh, I'm especially excited now that we have now that we're in this partnership with Sony and are going to be able to demonstrate um, really in the first commercial deployment. Uh, of our hyperreality technologies uh, here at the Void, um, that that opens up entirely new vistas for us, um, not just in the attraction stages, but uh, especially in moving forward with our dimension stages, where your choices do make a difference, where there isn't one path uh, to follow, where 
um, where you, you you step into the jungle and can go many different directions. It literally becomes a choose-your-own-adventure. And, and maybe point. it could be serialized, so you could have your own membership card, and they could pull out where you left off, and you know things that were that you killed before stay dead. It's already it's already. I built know anything I can think of. You've already thought of six months ago. I know it's already built <laughs> it's into okay. the frame. Not only that, Priyana, <laughs> I take no offense uh, at it. I'm just delighted. Well, not only that, delighted. but we have an entire we have an entire historic and and story structure Ugh, that up. I'm I'm sure that you would know that I would be working on that <laughs> that supports not not just the um, the individual uh, adventures, if you will, the individual uh, journeys that you'll take in the void, but all of which are tied together into a uh, into a grand story um, and, and a grand mystery that that underlies everything that we do in the void. And the discovery ooh, ooh. of that is going to is will take place <laughs> over a considerable time. But um, gosh, that sounds awful. And by awful, I mean I'm delighted. Yeah, it's this. This is like pure glee right now, and I'm sick with jealousy that I haven't flown out there already. I think well, we all are at it's, this point. it's out here. I mean, you I know, know, I, I know, I, I know a guy. I can work <laughs> out. You know. But I and, think and the you, other thing. Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, I was, all I was going to say is I I just think we need to figure out a way to get you guys down to New York. And, oh, uh, terrible! And we'll, we'll check out what happen. we build. Oh my God! We'll How would we even report that back, though? Like, I, so so the thing that brought up the scent cannons to my brain was actually um, the few times we visited Spooky World, and they actually do a pretty decent job of haunted houses. Yeah, the they scent do actually. Cannons. Like, luckily those were off when we went. Oh yeah, but you can still. It was still really smell them scary enough without them. Like it was <laughs> fine. In half the lights were still on. It was still scary enough for me. They were they, like, but how My would favorite you? Favorite part of Spooky World was that was when we learned that I had a high blood pressure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we did. Um, hey, listen, in uh, not not to brag too much, but. Nobody can touch us for scary. Oh, I bet that's true. I bet that's the case. But that that was the closest ex touchstone of experience that I could have to this. It made me think about, okay, what made it scary? It's not just like what you see and what you hear. It's yeah. everything. Yeah, imagine... the, the whole package. And you guys have got the whole yeah. package. But it's easier to communicate people in makeup and scent cannons to our listeners, readers, what have you, than... This holodeck type so, deal. <laughs> so here's here's the deal, guys. Because it's like City. you can't take a picture of Dome with Slimer, because because that's not do, really Dome there. can see Slimer. Or can you do but composites? Wait a minute, Tracy's already thought of this. Tell me what you thought of. Oh no, can't tell you. It's a secret. Okay, okay, but but you have thought about something along these lines. Can't tell you. It's a secret. Okay, I'll take that as a yes. Good. Excellent. I'm glad you're already doing that because people people will want the souvenirs. I would. I'd be like, hell, this is awesome. Like, you'd need some sort of composite of physical and digital. And yeah, it'd be cool. So That's something that I, I think is really neat is that this is all a commercial entity and 
because of that, because there's a business model, it's a reality that we can really get excited about as opposed to a lot of the other virtual uh, reality experiences that are neat but don't really have a use case Yes. yet. I've been trying to explain that uh, to a couple people in the area who are trying to figure out how to do VR as a business. This is my biggest question. How are you going to make money with Monetization, it? Monetization, yes, is a huge question. <sighs> and it's plaguing not just virtual reality, but a lot of industries at the moment. Well, and that's why we're very happy with the model that we have. Yeah. We're not. I, I mean, you're paying for an experience, and oh boy, what an experience it sounds like. Well, and our equipment is the, that we're using is, you know, just, just beyond state of the art. And that's extremely expensive, as you well know. But but because, uh, you know, and if someone were to try and duplicate what we're doing, I, you know, they could probably do it, but it would I, I, I cost an unbelievable amount of money to build this kind of a rig. But by putting it into a commercial environment, this means that we can give you the, the absolute cutting-edge experience in hyper-reality at... A f at a reasonable cost. Well, I mean, let's let's frame it the question this way: Would you rather go see the new Avengers movie, or would you rather be in the new Avengers movie? Mm, tough decision. Oh, I think I no, got no. It's not because movie theaters <laughs> freaking suck. Kriana, no I think it was sarcasm. Kriana, that was sarcasm. No, I know. Calm down. I know. I'm just. I'm agreeing. Very, very. Excitedly, movie theaters suck. Movie theaters have lost sight of their primary purpose of being an experience, and you're bringing it back. You're bringing back the experience, and the whole point of this is to make it an incredible experience. And there's been a surge in interest for things like gifts. I don't know if anyone else has noticed this, but like when you go up on like coupon websites or gift ideas or something they're like okay people like gifts of experiences go to a dude ranch i bring that up for no reason um, <laughs> go go to the grand canyon go <laughs> go go somewhere learn how to skydive learn how take a trapeze class it like there's a very high value placed on experiences versus material things and it's been a trend that's been increasing over the last, I feel like, ten years. Well, just look at the at, at the escape rooms. We talked to somebody yeah, not exactly, too long ago about exactly. that, and they're they're growing everywhere. This is they are. the this is the this is the logical de descendant of experiences like that because yes. from a passive experience to an active experience. Well, I just I just want to know. Is still an active experience. This this is just like the next step of it, which is like. No, what I'm saying is the movie is a passive experience. Yes, but that wasn't the point Java was making. Uh, my but, point is, I want to know when I can franchise it. <laughs> uh, actually, we're we're looking at franchising uh, right now. We're the deployments of the Vex, uh, the the Void Entertainment Centers, are all going to be done on a franchise model. Uh, so that people who want to establish them in their communities, they can come to us and we'll be happy to set them up in a franchising package. <coughs> you guys and definitely need a Boston brand. 
Yes, we do need a Boston branch. We do need, and I mean, but then we've had interest from, uh, we've had interest in China, we've had interest in Australia, we've had interest literally around the world. And, and, I can see and Japan our, going all in on this. Oh, absolutely. Just yeah. all in. Well, yes, and the expansion model also includes uh, some really fun interactive elements between between different VEX to the ability to play across borders, for example, with groups that uh, are in different regions um, uh, are all part of our future model as well. That and uh, that and our uh, and our continuing evolving uh, base story structure that will allow. Uh, for puzzles that um, uh, cross uh, states and and countries, it's it's going to be it's going to be an amazing journey when we get these deployed. But yeah, we're definitely doing a um, we're doing a uh, a franchising model, from what I understand, um, and uh, want to be in partnerships uh, uh, all around the world, really nationally and all around the world, in pretty quick order our own our own projection is uh at the at the void studios is to be producing new content and and new product from now on it's a it's an exciting time because for us this is the establishment of a new art form uh, when i think about um when i think about madame tussauds okay uh, and 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 waxwork, you know, figures and so forth. Madame Tussauds has been around for about 200 years. Right. And when it first premiered, um, it was, in its day, its own version of a virtual reality experience. This was, this was literally the only way that people in their time could ex- have any kind of three-dimensional experience or even, you know, lifelike experience uh, with encountering personalities of their day because uh, at you know 200 years ago what else was there you know tapestry uh, paintings artwork <laughs> you know tuberculosis and yeah. tuberculosis that too and so and so waxwork figures were uh, an astonishing uh, advent um, in uh, in art technology, and in portraying a reality f- uh, for people in their time, you know, uh, uh, Walt Disney, when he did Disneyland, his idea was to allow people not only to come to the movies but to be able to step into a movie, to be be in a movie environment, and that was that was the evolutionary key and revolutionary key that made Disneyland. Um, the uh, the evolutionary jump that it was, and so you know today now here we are with the void, and we're creating a new art form that will allow that not only will allow but does today allow people to step into and be in the in the middle of the entertainment form and interact with the entertainment form and impact. The, uh, the entertainment while they're inside of it. It's an it's an exciting time to be here, and we I, I can't wait to uh, get this in front of the public in Times Square, and and uh, show them what the what the real promise of hyper reality is. 
And we can't wait to see it. (laughs) I think we've made that clear, and we could talk about it for hours and hours and hours. And we're going to, and you're going to come back, and we're going to talk about it some more. Tracy, thank you. Daniel, thank you so much, guys. This has been an incredible hour and whatever. (laughs) And whatever. And whatever. It's been more than an hour. Yeah, and 18 and minutes-ish. Wait, oh, ish. that's okay. I just well, look forward to minutes. seeing everybody in New York. It'll be great. And we're gonna do it. Yeah, you tell us where to be. <laughs> and we will be there. In the next couple of weeks, however, on Sci-Fi Saturday Night, May 21st, Mike Mitchell of Mitchell Comics and Zombie Sub 920 talk about the events of the UFO sightings at Exeter and the flight of the Freedom 7 with Alan Shepard. I don't think and his, let this Exeter thing go, seriously. Uh, never, but that's okay. <laughs> May, May 28th, Jack the Duke joins us to discuss her two books, The Demonic Eyes and Bloody Nightmares, and what it was like to write them. And on June 4th, it's Gary Hawaiian Shirt Summers coming to talk about Northeast Comic Con. Flipping the page, Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of Boston Comic Con, Granite Con, Northeast Comic Con, BooksandBooze.com, and ComicArtHouse.com. Visit ComicArtHouse.com for some of the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. Our intro music production was provided by Rob Watts. Find his creations at robwattsonline.com. Our outro music was provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry. Check out their grooves on lawrencemademecry.com and check out their new EP. I want to thank our guests tonight because this was a fun, fun, fun night. Uh, Tracy, thank you so much for joining us. Dan, thank you so much for joining us. You're both welcome back anytime. And uh, Kriana, could you... uh, book the New York trip for us. Hmm. I want to thank the gang for joining us tonight from the Act in Action Time Work, the sweetheart of the soundboard, Kriana, and Woman of Words on Brand. Thank you so much, ladies. I, I have to test this chameleon circuit. I'll be right back. Okay, not a problem. Back from the shadows and into the Captain Crunch once again. Thank you, Chalva. You getting any sleep yet? Um. That's what I thought. <laughs> this is Dome saying Terry and Jeannie Shared pain is lessened, shared joy increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. Good night, everybody. Oh, I know.